Welcome to 2024. With the 2024 election on the horizon, the wars in Gaza and Ukraine, and numerous other foreign policy and domestic news stories, it's never been more important to stay informed. The DSR Network has you covered, with experts across all of these stories, to bring you the analysis and commentary of the stories that matter. Later this month, the DSR Network will introduce the TNR Daily, featuring Greg Sargent, formerly of the Washington Post, and a close friend of the show. Don't miss a moment of our coverage. Become a member of the DSR Network today. Members receive exclusive bonus content, the opportunity to attend DSR live events, a members-only Slack community, an ad-free listening experience, and more. For the month of January, receive 50% off your first year of membership. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DSR2024 at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code DSR2024. Thank you for your support. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is DSR. This is the mothership. This is the podcast that started it all. And as usual, we're going to talk about the world uh, and we'll do so with experts who are also friends. Uh, We begin, of course, with uh, our number one friend, Corey Shockey of the American Enterprise Institute, who is out um, in beautiful California. How are you doing today, Corey? I am exceedingly well, David. Thank you for asking. Well, so glad that you are here. Uh, Some of our other friends that are usually here with us are off doing beginning of the year kind of things, traveling, setting up new houses. Ed Luce is doing another two weeks of work on his book. Um, But we are joined by uh, one of our sort of new semi-regulars who we really enjoy so much, Alon Pincus, who is coming to us from I don't know, Tel Aviv, is that where you are right now, Alon? Yeah. Yes, Tel Aviv. Happy New Year. Uh, it's not the, not the happiest of New Year's. Um, and I want to no. get to a column that you, uh, that you wrote today, but, uh, but I'll get to that in a second. Um, uh, earlier this week, uh, the, the year began um, not only with continuing uh, fighting between uh, Israel and uh, Hamas and other forces in Gaza, but um, the uh, Israeli Supreme Court handed down an 8-7 to seven decision uh, setting aside or blocking uh, certain parts of uh, the the judiciary reform law that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu had hoped to put into place to um, enhance his power, weaken the power of the judiciary. This produced a number of uh, expressions of outrage from Netanyahu and those around him, both because of the substance of the decision and because uh, it came in the midst of this conflict, which they said uh, undermined the leadership in the midst of the conflict. What 
was your reaction, Alon, and, and what was the reaction of the Israeli people? Well, um, the um, there were two rulings. Okay, they were they were uh, uh, being deliberated, and and the opinion, the majority and minority opinions, were, or dissenting opinion, were being written for the last three months. Um, and there was a deadline. Everyone knew that this has to be done by uh, January twelfth, um, because uh, uh, there are two judges, including the outgoing uh, chief justice, um, Ms. Uh, um, Esther Chayut, who left the uh, uh, the court, and and according to Israeli law, has a hundred days in which to participate in rulings that began while she was uh, um, a, a presiding judge. So, you know, th- there was a deadline. Now, the one that you're referring to, David, the 8 to 7, and I'll correct in a moment, it's not really 8 to, it was 8 to 7, but there's another number hiding there, which is uh, uh, 13 to 2, and I'll get to that. The 8-7 was about Netanyahu trying to cancel or legislating, uh, canceling the so-called Reasonableness Act, which is basically the uh, uh, judicial review, if we look at it uh, uh, from an American constitutional point of view. The reasonableness or the unreasonableness clause was that I can appeal to the Supreme Court against what seems to be an unreasonable appointment or decision, and the Supreme Court can strike it down. Because if I decide that you would be the uh, 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 the head, uh, uh, you know, the CEO of El Al Airline, people would say he's not, he's, he doesn't have airline uh, um, industry uh, uh, experience, he doesn't have business experience, so on and so on. And the Supreme Court would, uh, would strike it down. In order to do that, uh, the government made it a basic law. We don't have a written constitution. We have a series of basic laws that together comprise what one day would be a constitution. So a basic law is the uh, is the uh, rough equivalent of, of any of the 27 amendments that you have in uh, well the original Bill of Rights and, and the other amendments that came afterwards. So here, here we get to the vote itself. Um, the Supreme Court until now has never intervened in a uh, um, in a uh, in in, a, in an amendment of a basic law. It said that in terms of the separation of powers, it should not deal with it. That said, there haven't been that many amendments to the to basic laws until Mr. Netanyahu came and installed and launched a constitutional coup, trying to make everything. Uh, um, into a basic law and and turn Israel into a Hungary, uh, uh, Poland, well, previous Poland, uh, um, or Russia. So the first decision that they made, David, um, was 13 to 2 in terms of the judges acknowledging that the Supreme Court has the right to uh, um, intervene in in amending a basic law on the basis of constitutionality or unconstitutionality. The second decision that they made was pertained to a specific issue, and that's the unreasonableness. That's where it came to 8-7. A day later, the Supreme Court, uh, uh, um, with 11 judges as opposed to 15, 
was dealing with Mr. Netanyahu's um, um, incapacitation clause, which would be the rough equivalent of the 25th Amendment. Okay, when, when the president is uh, um, um, uh, incapacitated, cannot discharge the powers of the office, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it finished six to five. So both were knockout uh, uh, punches into Netanyahu's constitutional coup. I, I know I'm going too long, but whomever is going to listen to us deserves at least this background. So I will keep in, in three sentences, David, the last question, the second part of the question, that uh, the last part of uh, that question, and that is how do people view this? Look, there have been hundreds of people, hundreds of thousands, I'm sorry, hundreds of thousands, <coughs> I'm sorry, hundreds of thousands of people demonstrating against the constitutional coup uh, for nine months. I mean, from January when it was introduced until October, but then on the 7th of October, uh, um, um, the worst day in Israel's history, no question about that. A war broke out, and it is still going on today, is the 90th day, 9-0. So while the pundits were all over the case, and the politicians all have had something stupid to say, uh, um, if you ask me if people in the street were act are actually thinking about this, no, they, they, they look at the constitutional core, the, the judicial overhaul of the government, try to uh, uh, disguise it. Um, they look at it as ancient history. This is all about Hamas. This is all about the war. This is all about the politics, the election. Netanyahu should stay. Netanyahu should go. Netanyahu should be summarily fired. Etc. I, I don't think that anyone outside that little circle, it's not that little, but outside the circle of you know uh, constitutional scholars, uh, 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 legal um, journalists, and so on, I don't lawyers, I don't think that anyone, you know, average Yossi Israeli, you know, the, the, uh, uh, Jimmy Jones, I don't think anyone uh, uh, gave a damn. Corey, do you have a, a follow-up to them? Comment or Me question? Either. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have a question, uh, which is I'm surprised uh, at the conclusion that n that nobody cared when the decision finally came down given how much public protest there was, I guess, I guess it's a tribute to just how traumatized Israeli society is since October 7th, um, that this got pushed aside. But it, um, what do you think the next steps, I mean, it would be hard for the Netanyahu government to try and revive um, legislation of this magnitude, given the weakness of the government that you mentioned and the overriding issue of prosecuting the war. Uh, does this mean the subject's dead and, and Israelis don't have to keep watch on their government quite as carefully as those, as all those people protest um, suggested? So I guess the question, to narrow it, the question is, isn't this a great victory for democracy? And, and uh, the institutional constraints democracies put on governmental power, because it looks like that from this distance. Tremendous uh, uh, victory. I mean, if you, if you add to it uh, the election uh, in Poland, 
um, and the new government installed in Poland, you see that there is a uh, these these are two good signs or two two positive blips on the radar screen. By the way, um, you started Corey by saying that, that that you know it's somewhat surprising to you that people were not uh, uh, they were, but but this was an expected uh, decision. Um, in fact, in fact, the only the only uh, pushback you got was that. Oh, eight seven. I expected eleven five. I expected ten six. I expected, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, 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 something cl- not 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 a one not a single vote majority. It doesn't now. The most important point that you raised was, or still is, uh, should people now be comfortable and 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 forget that this ever happened and think of it as a uh, a great political victory. But that this uh, uh, constitutional coup d'état is, is, no, I wouldn't say that. Uh, um, uh, you know, the forces that are trying to get that done will find a way, uh, once the war is over, to try and uh, uh, relitigate this um, in a different way, in the form, format uh, that it existed. Until now, it's dead and buried. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, I was going to ask a follow-up question, but please continue. No, 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 no. I, I... So one of AEI's young scholars, Ben Lefkowitz, wrote an interesting piece for The Hill uh, before the holidays, arguing that if Hamas viewed the protests against the judicial law in Israel as a demonstration of societal weakness and therefore a good time to strike Israelis, Ben's argument is that it's it shows the exact reverse. It shows that free societies have the ability to both um, have uproarious domestic debates about liberty and institutionalization and governmental power and also conduct a foreign policy. How do you think about that? Do you, do you think the protests... Um, gave any any succor to Israel's um, enemies or is your sense that you know that what we're seeing which is Israelis shrugging off the court's decision because they expected it in response to not public pressure but public understanding of limited governmental power oh I agree with uh, uh, Ben. Is uh, Ben Lefkowitz? I, I I did not read that. I will now that you uh, um, recommend it. I, I agree with his bottom line. But but here's the thing: on the one hand, uh, uh, claiming that Hamas took advantage of a societal division and and a country torn apart and okay, is is a Netanyahu uh, um, argument. It's uh, there's no proof for that whatsoever. Usually, attacks like this. Are, are about opportunity and and timing, not not about societal cleavages, et cetera, et cetera. But on the other hand, on the flip side, for many months, uh, the chief of staff, the chief of the IDF, the Israel Defense Forces, even the defense minister who was fired because of that for 48 hours, Netanyahu didn't have the guts to go through with it, um, they warned um, that the level of toxicity in the political discourse in Israel is weakening national security because the army is, well, the military 
is dragged into it uh, because of the Israeli military, as you know, as David knows, is 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 um, heavily reliant on reserves. It, it's it's not a professional army like, say, the U.S. Armed Forces. There is a uh, uh, you know there's a, a universal conscription, mandatory universal conscription for three years, and 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 then it's all about reserve, including primarily the pilots, and a lot of those pilots. Uh, uh, which are part of the qualitative edge and the uh, you know the the, the very point uh, the, you know the pinpoint of of uh, um, um, tech and 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 military and you know this better than I. Um, a lot of the pilots were very active in the anti uh, um, uh, coup uh, uh, demonstrations, and and so Netanyahu tried to take advantage of this politically. Um, he still does, by the way. To this day, he's blaming the, the military and the Shabak, the general security services, that they failed him. But to make a long story short, there's absolutely no proof uh, that Hamas did what they did because they felt that there was an, uh, an opportunity because Israel was, you know, unraveling at the seams and, and so on and so forth. It's a, it's a cheap shot. It's an, interesting, it's an interesting question that we in the United States have to ask because our political discourse at the moment is making it impossible for the administration to pursue its goals in Ukraine, for example. Uh, and that may or may not be being taken advantage of right now um, by the Russians. I mean, we, you know, we can't really understand their motives for recent uh, sort of escalations of aerial attacks and so forth. Um, but there is a coincidence there. And it's certainly worth talking about. Um, uh, let me ask a question. Uh, uh, that relates in part to your last column, um, Alana, a column in Haaretz that talked about how the people who are making the strongest case for um, uh, the the is you know the sort of war crimes case that's being brought against Israel in, in, currently by South Africa uh, are people in the Israeli government who are saying outrageous things including some of the extremists in the Netanyahu uh, cabinet. And, and to me, you know, this frames a di- another issue, and it's related to the first issue. And the other issue is, you know, they're, 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 you know in the whole debate around the, con- the conflict in, in Israel, uh, in Gaza, um, there, there's sort of two sides in what I would call credible in the, in the credible range of the debate, right? Um, there, there, you know, and that is to say, everybody agrees and stipulates that Hamas needs to be eliminated as a force. You know, within the group that believes that, then there's a question about how do you eliminate it. And one view, the view of the Israeli government, is we have to conduct the war the way we're conducting it. And the other view is there are other ways to conduct the war. I, I suppose there's a third group you know, among extremists who say, no, you know, leave Hamas alone. But let's set them aside for a moment. The real problem and the growing tension between the United States and Israel has to do with this difference. And um, I think there's a broad perception that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu and the extremists in his cabinet, Ben Gavir and so forth, um, uh, are holding on to views that are not only not ultimately going to prove to be successful in terms of military 
uh, operations, but are destructive to Israel, destructive to its standing, destructive to the U.S. for being associated with Israel, and in many ways, inhumane. The question is, are those people ever going to leave? You know, the, 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 you know, is there any way to get them out? And we've talked about it a little in the past, Alon, and you've essentially said, well, there's no will within that coalition to make a change. Um, but if that remains the status quo into 2024, it seems to me this war could go on indefinitely because it is in Netanyahu and company's interest for it to go on indefinitely. And there seem to be no limits to the destruction that they are willing to to see happen, uh, the, the, the reality is, and, and, you know, I mean, we've all read different accounts of it. Gaza effectively doesn't even exist anymore. Literally every single person in Gaza has been re- dislocated out of their own homes. Two million people. You know, most of the homes are gone or they're damaged. Uh, and we know the, 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 the height of the, of the tolls. Um, so, you know, if you want to have a solution, you've got to get rid of the, got to get rid of Hamas, but you've also got to change the Israeli government. Uh, you've got the U.S. Uh, sending its secretary of state over there. It's negotiator for the region. You know, they're trying to get things through, but every time they go, they're not being listened to. Is there a path by which Israeli leadership is changed? Both you and I, David, wrote uh, separate articles that somehow looked as if we co-wrote them um, on this very issue in the last two months, are calling for exactly that. And um, well, we do uh, collaborate. You know, the other we day, do exchange notes, and we try to write exactly the same thing at all times. We can admit that we yeah. do. Yeah. Well, you know, it's so, not true. It's not like, true. I'm just joking. Like, go on, go on. Like Schwarzenegger and Danny exactly. DeVito. Exactly, twins. twins. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's a great analogy. Yeah, go on. I'm not saying who's who, okay? I'm not saying I'll who's take, who. I don't care. I'll take either. Very diplomatic of you, Elon. What? Very diplomatic of you. Yeah, well, he's a diplomat, you know. Yeah. Was. Okay. Um, <clears throat> this, this has gone beyond a policy disagreement between Israel and the U.S. It has, it has reached a critical mass to the point that I think, and, and I believe people in Washington and in, in, in the uh, so-called foreign policy establishment uh, uh, see that in a, in, a, in a similar way, although it's difficult to pivot or turn on a dime, um, a policy that 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 Biden launched so enthusiastically with such unwavering commitment, and and all of the sudden change. So the, the 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 there's change, but it's gradual. But I think it reached a critical mass in which Israel has become is becoming an impediment to American regional interests in in the Middle East. Now we can argue about whether those interests are defined uh, um, positively or negatively, if the Americans are right or wrong. If, but Israel has become it, one thing the Americans have been talking about repeatedly since October seventh is the formation or amalgamation of two axes. You know, an axis of anarchy and disorder and terrorism, 
uh, led by Iran with Syria, Hezbollah, Hamas, the Houthis down in Yemen, mentored by Russia, and and a uh, counter axis that the Americans are uh, uh, slowly trying to form with the U.S., Israel, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, uh, um, um, the UAE, Qatar, and, and the Palestinian Authority. Now, Israel is the only one not playing its part in this coalition. Here's Mr. Netanyahu, who begged Biden for help, and, 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 and two, three weeks later was arrogantly bragging about how he's the only prime minister who's going to stand up. Now, you asked a specific question. Uh, um, let, me, let me answer. You talked about the path to changing the government. I think that a, um, um, the ultimate result for, um, for the Biden administration would be for Hamas to be eliminated and, and Netanyahu be removed uh, um, at the same time, if possible. But that's not easily going to happen. Now, there are three paths to, to uh, changing the government. One, and I think we discussed this in some earlier uh, podcasts, but I'll, I'll run by them uh, really in 30 seconds. One is what is called a, a um, constructive motion of no confidence, meaning that 61 members of parliament out of 120, i.e. Uh, the slimmest majority possible, uh, they come up with the name of an agreed prime minister, and so the change occurs within the existing Knesset, meaning no election. That's why it's called constructive. But in order to get to the 61, you need uh, um, um, five coalition members uh, to defect. Uh, you need five members of Likud, or one of the religious or the one of the extremist parties to, to reject. Right now they have 64 seats. So you need five to join the coalition in order to turn it into a, a majority. That would be a medical wonder because these people would have to grow a spinal cord and some other organs, not to be mentioned on the uh, on the reputable podcast, and and that that just can't happen. The second would be, and this is what I think is going to happen. I mean, this is this is I know it's part wishful thinking, but I do think this is a high likelihood. Um, the war will be over. The fighting will continue, but there needs to be a distinction here. The war in its current form, contours, and scale is going to end pretty soon, by the way. There will be fighting, incursions, intelligence-driven search-and-destroy missions. Uh, um, Israel will maintain uh, two or three security buffers. The moment that happens, you're going to see mass demonstrations. The basis of the demonstrations was the constitutional uh, um, overall, the constitutional coup, but now it's going to be about the war. That will shake up the coalition. They will they will ask not for Netanyahu's resignation. That's too late now. They will ask for an election. They're going to say this was a formative moment. This was a uh, uh, um, a devastating day, the worst in Israel's history. The, the, unequivocally, we call for an election. Mister Netanyahu thinks he was failed. Fine, go go convince the. The polls indicate that he would be smashed, but the polls mean nothing right now. So these are the two paths. Now, in order to encourage them, the U.S. can't get involved or meddle in, in Israeli domestic politics, uh, um, you know, in, in, in a very crude and visible way. But just, you know, I refer you to um, about, what was it, last week? Um, Democrat Senator, Democratic Senator Chris Coons from Delaware, who's 
considered to be a, uh, a pretty close to President Biden, was asked on Face the Nation, I think, by David Ignatius, if I'm not wrong, uh, isn't it time that your friend be tough? Um, Tom Friedman wrote the same. David Rothkop wrote the same. There's going to come a point where uh, they're going to get tough with Mr. Netanyahu. I'm not, they're not going to call for his removal, but I wouldn't be surprised if at some point Biden, who's paying a political price, I mean, the election is not around the corner, but then again, it's not in three years. It's in 11 or less than 11 months. I, I, I could see America changing uh, um, a course in the near in, in, in the very near future, meaning two, three weeks. Well, let's talk about that. I, I, I know that everybody wants to hear um, uh, Corey's perspective on this, and uh, that makes this the perfect opportunity to say, if you're a member, you're going to be able to hear it. If you're not a member, unfortunately, this is the point where we have to wrap up the podcast for you. So to hear what Corey has to say, you should join and become a member at the low price of $5 a month. That can't last that low. I can't imagine it would last that low forever. So this is a good time to go and uh, sign up at the dsrnetwork.com. And then you can hear all of all of our podcasts. And as many of you may have heard, um, you know, we entered into an agreement at the end of last year with the New Republic. And uh, one of uh, our friends, who was a great reporter for the Washington Post, Greg Sargent, has just left the Washington Post and joined the New Republic and will be hosting a daily New Republic podcast um, on the DSR network that we are producing and that we are distributing. And so we will be adding oh, that's great. Uh, to our mix this uh, partnership with the New Republic and the perspectives of Greg, who many of you may know is a great voice. So this is the best moment possible to uh, to sign up because there's going to be so much more uh, bonus content uh, here. Uh, so I'll leave you to consider that if you're not a member. If you're uh, not a member, you'll have some time because we say goodbye now. If you are a member, stand by. 